Hello, I'm Regina Botras and this is Backstage, where we talk with the who's who on stage, in dance, comedy and performing arts, speaking with the leading theatre makers of our times and how they came to the stage and what drives them and inspires them. My guest is James Evans. He's the Associate Director at Bell Shakespeare, a graduate of NIDA and um, holds a Master's of Arts from the University of Sydney. He's directed Much Ado About Nothing and Julius Caesar's National Tour, uh, as well as Macbeth, Romeo and Juliet and A Midsummer Night's Dream. He's performed on many stages around town and is playing Capulet in Romeo and Juliet, which is opening tonight as part of Bell Shakespeare. Please welcome James Evans. Oh, thank you, Regina. Thanks so much for having me on. Thank you for coming on. So let me get, you, you know, you're an actor and a director. What came first, well, the acting or the directing? De- definitely the acting. Um, when I was a kid, that's all I wanted to do. I just wanted to be on stage and particularly with Shakespeare. And it all started with a teacher, a teacher who introduced me to Shakespeare when I was very young, like in year five or six. Wow. And uh, and I was I became obsessed and all I wanted to do. So I pursued it through high school and then um, went to uni and then got into NIDA and did did the acting course there. And then was very fortunate to get my one of my first gigs was here at Bell Shakespeare doing the the tour to schools, you know. So we would go around to high schools in gyms and auditoriums, and and that really toughens you up as an actor and, and helps you to um, hone your craft. And then uh, I just went from there, and then kind of learnt uh, directing and other skills on the job as I went as well. Yeah, yeah. So you said it was a teacher introducing you as well to Shakespeare, but. Were they, did they also see something in you? Like, was it a mentor sort of relationship or have you had other mentors along the way? Absolutely have had mentors along the way. Not, I mean, that particular teacher was just the spark that kind of um, ignited that passion for me. But then along the way, there have absolutely been mentors, a number of them school teachers, but also uni lecturers and other directors and um, acting teachers at NIDA and so on who have really guided me. And and this is crucial. And um, yeah. this is what uh, I always say to my students as well as look for those mentors in your life, whoever they may be, and and hang on to them and make sure that um, uh, that you you soak up their wisdom because um, that that's how you can you can move forward. Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. So you're a teacher as well then? Uh, yeah, I do uh, quite a bit of teaching at NIDA now. I teach um, in their acting course uh, from time to time, uh, working on Shakespeare, directing scene work. Um, I, I help them with audition technique because uh, the third-year students are coming out and having to audition in the industry. So I tell them, I, I, I help them with you know what directors might be looking for in an audition uh, and also I, I work with students at the University of Sydney and University of Melbourne who are studying Shakespeare to bring a kind of practical practitioner's perspective to their academic studies as well. Right, right. So what are things that directors look for or people look for in auditions? What's that? Is there one key like do this? <laughs> well with Shakespeare I think the key, well, there's there's a few different bits of advice I could give. Uh, the main one is be open to direction. So often someone will come in with a very well-rehearsed performance and then that's it. Uh, and the director will, but what the director is looking for is an artist who they want to work with on the floor, who's going to be open to new suggestions and ideas. 
So I say come in with a an interpretation, but not directed within an introvert's life. Yeah, don't worry about the props and the costumes and all these other bits and paraphernalia that you bring in. Mm. Just very neutral. You've got you've got a, a very strong idea of the scene and the scenario. Uh, and then be ready to work because that's right. really what a director wants to see. Right. So you have directed Romeo and Juliet and now you're in it. What is important for audiences to know about this play and coming to see it? Romeo and Juliet goes at a breakneck speed. So Shakespeare adapted most of his plays from already existing sources. So yeah. um, he didn't really make up the stories most of the time. And Roman Juliet's no different. This is a 200, 300-year-old story by the time mm. Shakespeare gets his hands on it. Um, but what he does is he takes the, the source material, which in his case was a narrative poem by a guy called Arthur Brooke. Mm. Um, that was the latest version. And that's like three or four months of action. And he compresses it into four days. Um, and so what he's trying to do there is show what happens to people's actions and and to people's decision-making when mm. time pressure gets dropped on top of it, like a, like a pressure cooker. Yeah. And so I guess what people need to know is that there's a lot of pressure on all of the characters in this play, not just Romeo and Juliet, but on my character, Juliet's dad as well. There's a lot of pressure to kind of rebuild the family after the death of Tybalt. There's a lot of pressure... Uh, on the prince, uh, who's the ruler of the town, to to keep the peace in the town. So everyone's under this huge amount of pressure. And then what happens is people start making poor decisions because of that, and uh, and things just tumble out of control. Mm. So that's a, that's an innovation of Shakespeare's at time pressure. And then also um, in the language uh, of this play, this is very early Shakespeare, so it's very very poetic, uh, beautiful verse. Uh, and I would say to the audience, it's okay if you don't catch every single word that's that, that don't don't stress about that very often it's about allowing those words and the feeling of those words to wash over you and uh, and most of it will be very very clear and then sometimes there's a word that won't be uh, as familiar don't get hung up on that don't stress mm. just uh, just keep moving on and enjoy the show <laughs> for sure and i think that's why it's important to see a production rather than just to read it i mean i think it's good practice to read before going to inform you, but what is that, I don't know, relationship to the body and the space of, of Shakespeare? Mm. That is absolutely crucial. Shakespeare wrote his plays to be performed by actors, to be read out loud. Uh, I mean, if you think about it, and this is the 400th anniversary of the publication of, of the first folio of his complete work. Right. So it's kind of a momentous year in, in Shakespeare nerd land. <laughs> but 18 of his plays would not have, would have been lost forever if it wasn't for the publication of that work, which was posthumous. It was after Shakespeare died. So Shakespeare wasn't necessarily interested in publishing his plays as books to be read. Mm. It was all about the performance for him. It was all about the bodies in space. And the space that we have here in Sydney is a brand new theatre. This yeah. is the first ever production, full production that we've put on in this in this space. And and it's really great because it's a it's a thrust stage. We've never performed like this before, where the audience is on three sides. 
We get they're right there in the middle of the action. And this is what Shakespeare wrote his plays for. The audience and the actors are interacting all the time. The actors are talking to the audience constantly. And we really feel it in this space. It's very exciting, as opposed to a regular old uh, proscenium arch theatre, which is where we usually um, do Shakespeare. Mm. It's so exciting and I can't wait to see it in this new space. Um, but he foretells the the fate of these two star-crossed lovers. Why do you think he does that? Why does he do that? Why is there a prologue where he says these two star-crossed lovers will die at the end of the play? Oh, man. There, there are lots of answers to that. Let's Maybe there's his one answer. Uh, people already knew, perhaps already knew the story. And so they knew this is what was going to happen. And it was more about, we know this is going to be the ending. Don't get too hung up on that. But just try and figure out along the way, what are the things that this society are wrong in this society? I think um, Mm -hmm. one of the most important things Shakespeare Mm -hmm. does is he takes his source material and he removes any judgment from it. So in 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 the Arthur Brooke poem, there's a prologue very similar to this, but in that prologue, it says, hey, kids, uh, here's what happens when you disobey your parents, you end up dead. So it's very prescriptive. It's like, Mm. it's the kid's fault that they didn't listen to their parents, they're dead. Whereas Shakespeare takes all of that stuff out and he just says, yes, they die, but let's try and figure out why. What happened Mm. in this world? What is it about the disunity in this society that caused that tragedy to happen? So Mm. I think that's where his focus wants Mm. to be. Good answer. <laughs> I mean, it's a trope that happens in, you know, and we see it often. We know something's going to happen and it's all about the the how still. You still, yeah, watch it and, and, and watch how. You mentioned the language earlier and understanding um, the poetic nature of it, but there's also shifts in indicative of character, like in, in the writing, reflecting in the writing. Yeah, absolutely. Look, every character, uh, you know, Shakespeare didn't write generic verse, no way. Every character has their own particular style. Like Mercutio, for example, is very bawdy. Some of the dirtiest jokes in all of Shakespeare <laughs> are in this play. Uh, and then Romeo's language actually changes and shifts. Once he falls in love, he finds more of a rhythm uh, in terms of the way he speaks and he's more comfortable in his skin. Uh, Juliet and Romeo, when they first meet, they happen to compose a perfect sonnet of 14 lines together, uh, which is an extraordinary indication of their meeting, not Mm. just physical attraction, but on a mental and spiritual and every other emotional level that you can imagine. So the language really reflects what's going on deep inside the characters' hearts, and uh, and each each character's language is specific to them, but also changes as the as the play progresses. Mm. So, do you think it's the language that makes it so popular for audiences, and one that really can, comes back? I look. I think that's definitely a big part of it for Romeo and Juliet. You know, you. Got your great uh, Romeo, wherefore art thou Romeo? And, um, but soft, what light through yonder window breaks? You've got your wonderful phrases and turns of um, uh, and expressions in this play. Uh, but also, it's it's the story and that that feeling. And you know, it's funny. Every night when I watch. Uh, because in some in certain parts of our production, we actually are sitting on stage when we're not in the scene, just watching the show um, with the audience. And every night I see Romeo drink that potion 
I think maybe tonight the fryer will come in just one minute earlier and just stop it. Even, it's so silly, I know, because the story is the story. But you, you really get that, that feeling of just missed opportunities. And, mm. and I think the drama and the passion and the love of this play is really what brings people back to it again and again. <laughs> For sure. So this production's the can you describe a bit of that? I mean you've described the the new space, but and now that you're on stage at some points, like what kind of style of production are we looking at? Are we kind of lots of props and lots of sets or minimal or what what sort of it's look it's it's quite it's quite contemporary but but very stripped back and simple this really very simple in terms of costumes um we're using all of the kind of romeo and juliet um trope props like the uh, the the vial of, of poison and the potion and the and the um you know the swords and the daggers and stuff that's all going to be in there uh but other than that, it's going to be pretty stripped back and simple. And really, it's just about the audience's relationship with the actors and the actors with each other and the, and the words telling the story. It's really just a story. We, we invite the audience to come along with us and, uh, and join us in hearing a story and, and reflecting on it at the end. Mm-hmm. And in that way, it is bookended by um, Blazy Best, the wonderful actor, Blazy Best, who does the prologue and then also does an epilogue um, at the very end, which is spoken by the prince, um, uh, kind of bookending the play and, uh, and setting us up for this journey that we're going to go on. So design-wise, it's, it's very simple, but uh, very beautiful as well, mm. I think. And you mentioned, I mean, we, we know your Capulet. What is your, you know, have you made certain decisions for, for your role? And what, maybe give us a little bit more about your journey, actually. Yeah, look, it's, uh, it's a tough role. Capulet is Juliet's dad. Um, and at the start of the play, he's kind of the life of the party. And, and uh, he, he sets up a, a, wants to set up a, a possible engagement between his daughter and a very rich nobleman from town called Paris. But then a turning point happens in the middle of the play when his kinsman Tybalt is killed and he suddenly decides to bring Juliet's wedding to Paris forward um, to three days' time. And when she refuses to get married, then he suddenly turns and and the monster kind of comes out. Um, And it's interesting because... You know, I'm, uh, you know, I'm in my mid forties now, and um, as a younger actor, uh, yeah, I always hated Capulet and thought, what a terrible guy. But now that I'm a dad, <laughs> you know, I'm starting to think, well, you know, he goes about it really the wrong way and in an awful way. But I have to understand that all he wants is for his daughter um, to be taken care of, and really. That that has to be his motivation now. Mm. Obviously, he really stuffs it up by kind of screaming at her and 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 telling her that you must marry Paris. But um, the love for his family still has to be there. So that's why it's such a complex and rich character and so enjoyable to play. Mm. So you mentioned um, with with the auditions about being directed and being able to take direction. And I imagine it must be interesting. I don't know if you've played this role before, but having directed this production and now being inside of it, like, did you kind of go, oh, I had this idea of him? I mean, you sort of said that, but um, how how do you 
yeah, I, I guess you've just answered it, but understand him so much. No, I, look, honestly, I, I think our our conception, our idea of Shakespeare characters changes year to year and and um yeah sometimes even week to week depending on what we're going through um greg doran the um uh, former artistic director of the royal shakespeare company uh, has a great expression he says shakespeare is like a magnet that draws the iron filings of what's happening in the world to it so what's happening in your life mm-hmm. you automatically see yourself in shakespeare um, whatever whatever stage of life you might be in and whatever's going on in the world, Shakespeare seems to express that. And so, yeah, when I directed um, Romeo and Juliet, you know, and that would be seven or eight years ago. Uh, uh, yeah, about seven or eight years ago. Uh, again, I was in a different stage of my life. My kids were much younger. Um, I was perhaps more ambitious for other um, sorts of things in my career. And now I'm a little bit more settled and, and uh, my kids are older. And so, so uh, different perspectives bring, bring out different things in the plays <laughs> for us. Uh, and I find that fascinating. Even you talk to John Bell, who's in his early 80s now, and even he is still learning new things about himself mm-hmm. and about the plays by continuing to have a relationship with Shakespeare. Incredible. Well, James Evans, thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure to talk with you about this production. I've learned so much. You too, Jen. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. It's been great. James Evans there, the Associate Director of Bell Shakespeare and Plain Capulet. At the Pier 23 in the new space, the new home of Bell Shakespeare, 